This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. Hello again. Uh, for those who were here earlier, <clears throat> for those who were not, hello. I'm aware that it's um, depending on where you are, it's afternoon, evening, or morning. Um, it's a different time in northern France, southern Portugal, western Australia, uh, eastern England. Um, but it's now. And we're all here together now. So I'm happy to see you all and to share these moments. Uh, Someone recently asked me about this, one of the images I have on my wall behind me, uh, which I'm not sure how well you can see it with these little screens, but um, it's a calligraphy that was given to, that was made by and given to me by my Dharma brother, Frank Deval, who um, his Dharma name in French is Vue Immediate. And in English, it's, it's a, it has a Japanese form as well, but I can't remember it. And um, in English, it's something like direct seeing. In Portuguese, I don't know. Um, and this calligraphy is a word that happens to mean one thing in Flemish his language, Frank's language, and another thing in Portuguese. Um, so can you see, can everyone see this or no? Yeah? No. So I, I'm not sure how it's pronounced in Flemish. Maybe Henda could tell us, but it's ya, I guess, um, um, which means yes. Oui. Si. Um, in Portuguese, again, I'm not sure how you pronounce it in Portuguese, já, I think, right? Yeah. And so I guess in Portuguese it means now, right? Or something like that. Um, which is really interesting. Two languages, and maybe in German it means something else. Uh, Christine, does it mean something else in German? Uh, does it exist in German? It's, it's yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, these two letters um, put together and they mean something different in different languages. Uh, and yet, most of the time, I don't think about any of that. It's just this calligraphy that Frank made for me and gave me. And it's signed not Frank or Roshi Frank. It's signed Vu Immediat, his Dharma name, direct seeing. Um, 
So what does that mean then? Uh, what is direct seeing? What is, um, you know, I can't, there's too many people on this Zoom screen for me to see everyone. So I have to go to another screen if I want to see the, the rest of the people, right? Um, and yet, I see you all. And you're all here. Uh, I chose to wear this morning this, this rakasu that the wildflowers made for me and gave me. So we're staying with the theme of pieces that are made and given to me. And this was, this is a rakasu that is made by everyone donated a piece of fabric that had some meaning to them, for them. And Anna took the pieces of fabric and made a rakasu. You can't maybe see it so well, but it's, you know, all kinds of pieces and um, so there are pieces sewn onto pieces because there were so many of them. Um, there's, there's different pieces on the back and the front. There's pieces sewn onto the here so that there could be, uh, everyone's pieces could come together. And they offered this to me and I'm, um, well, actually it was eight years ago now. Um, it was a very big surprise. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a perfect, perfect uh, incarnation of, of one and many um, of the wildflowers that, that we are and how we are all together as one. And then on the, it was blank, of course, the rakasu on the back. And so then I gave it to my teacher and asked her to write something on it, which is traditionally what you do. It's your teacher who writes on the rakasu. So every time I get a new rakasu, I give it to her and she writes something on it. And on the back of this one, she wrote, the mind creates the abyss, the heart crosses it. And this is a quote from Nisargadatta. She's given me other, other of my rakusus. She has also put quotes from him. She and I have an affinity for his, his teaching and feel kind of one mind with him, I think. So, and what she puts on there always has a meaning for me in my practice. Like the Dharma names that I give to you have meaning for you in your practice. Um, and it so happens that someone this past week asked me about this quote as well. That quote came up and he couldn't remember where it came from. And so I told him and then I started thinking about it again. Um, so the mind creates the abyss, of course, it, it, it creates all the separations. Um, so it, our mind is, has created these little boxes appearing on our screen and um, the different time zones and the different cities and regions and languages. Um, every category difference that you can think of, um, the mind creates. 
And then Nisargadatta says, the heart crosses that abyss, that separation. The heart doesn't make those distinctions. The heart doesn't care if that says ya or ja. Uh, doesn't care if it's yes or no. Um, doesn't care if you're sitting in Porto or Perth or London or a village somewhere uh, whose name I don't even know. Um, the heart crosses that abyss. And then, so what does that mean for us? Um, my teacher wrote that. I'm sure she was giving me a message with it. She always gives me messages, right? She's always telling me something, always giving me a teaching. Um, and I'm giving it to you as a message, a teaching. Um, I read recently uh, about, maybe some of you have heard this, there, about 10 years ago, there started circulating on the internet, a picture that was taken in Hamburg, Germany, I think in 1935 or 1936 at a shipyard. And a ship had just been completed. And they think this is what the story is. A new ship had just been built. And it's a picture of the shipyard workers, you know, huge crowd. And because of the time and the place, they were all doing the salute to Hitler, except for one man in the crowd. And He's just standing there, not doing it. All of the others, hundreds of them, are doing it. And this started circulating on the internet, and people were wondering who it was, and who that man was, and why he was doing it. And he was eventually um, identified by his daughter, who was by this time an old woman, probably. And so we learned who he was. He was a German man. Um, his name was August Landwasser or something like that. And um, he, five years earlier, he was a member of the Nazi party, probably because for his work, he needed to do that. And a, few, a year or so before this picture was taken, he fell in love with a Jewish woman. And they were going to get married. But at that, right at that time, the government made a law that said Germans could not marry with, you know, Aryan Germans could not marry with Jews. And so they lived unmarried and had two children, uh, tried to escape to Denmark. Um, he tried to escape to Denmark to find work and then so he could have his family come and was caught and put into a work camp. His wife was eventually caught and sent off to the camps. No one knows what happened to her. Um, the daughters were taken into 
um, foster families or saved by someone I know. And he, when he was released from prison, was sent off into the army and probably was missing in action because no one knows what happened to him. In any case, this example of this man standing in this crowd is an example of the heart crossing the abyss. Because of his love, he saw no difference. He, 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 the case of what race you are, what religion you are, um, what the law says, uh, what is allowed and what is not allowed, no difference. His heart crossed that abyss. Um, and I was fascinated by this because now you have these, you can look it up on the internet and there's pictures, lots of this picture, and he, a circle around him um, so that you can see clearly that there's this one man, and it's often used to say, uh, um, used in stories of how how you can make a difference, and how you can not follow what your heart does not believe in, um, things like that. Um, it came up in a book that I'm reading about racism in America. Um, and it's a great story for us in the sense of um, what, what difference, what our differences really um, what when we make differences you know when we make these categories our mind creates this abyss what are we really doing and to what extent are we willing to we need these change we need differences right we live in a world of differences and to ignore them is to be in a totalitarian society right so what happens when we ignore differences, um, we think that everyone is the same and everyone is not the same. You see that all here we have all this vast variety of images and backgrounds on our screen here. And yet we are all one and we share the same basic nature. So how do we do this? How do we hold these the one and the many. Um, how do we not live only with the mind creating the abyss and open our hearts to crossing it? This is the challenge, right? Um, and of course, we have many koans in our Zen tradition that address this. Uh, there's a koan for everything, actually. Um, but a lot of koans address this issue of, because that is the central, that is the essence of our practice is to, um, to see the one, to see the oneness, because we live in a world of the many, right? We live in a world of differences and separation. And so our practice is about awakening to the oneness. So we have lots of koans around this subject, the dualities. And one of the more famous ones is 
called Manson Kills of a Cat. It comes from the Mumenkan, which is a collection of koans, most of them from the ninth century in what we call the golden age of Zen in China. And this one involves two great masters, Manson, and the, a master who was his student at the time, Joshu. And so Nansen, the monks in Nansen's monastery were arguing about a cat. We don't know exactly what that argument was about. Could have been some deep philosophical religious question about doctrine, about does the cat exist or not, or who knows. Could have been something really ridiculous about whose cat is it. Um, could have been about... Uh, I don't know. We don't know what the argument was about, but there was an argument. And the master, Nansen, hears about this, and so he comes and he holds up the cat and he said, if you know, if you can say a word of Zen, um, I want to be sure I get the right quote, his phrase. Um, he says, if you can say a word of Zen, I will spare the cat. If you cannot, I will kill it. Uh, so everyone froze. No one could answer. And as the story says, Nansen finally killed the cat. So this is horrible, right? He kills the cat. Uh, me. Uh, uh, serious cat lover. And many of you on the screens, uh, from time to time, your cats appear. So I know others of you have cats too. But even if you don't care about cats, if you don't like cats, it's terrible. The Zen master, he kills this cat, right? Um, you might, might lose some student, students if you did that. <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, that's one way of seeing it. Actually, I do it all the time. And I lose students that way too. Um, my intention is to do it all the time, let's say. So finally, Nansen kills the cat. That's the first part. And so in some collections, these are actually two koans. So that would be the first koan or the first part. And then the second part, in the evening, when Joshu came came back, Joshu was out somewhere. We don't know what he was doing. His student, Nansen, told him about this story, told him about the incident. Joshu, hearing the story, took off his sandal from his foot, put it on his head, and walked away. Nansen said, if you had been there, I could have saved the cat. So, this looks crazy, this whole koan, right? Killing cats, putting sandals on your head, um, what? This is nonsense, right? And Zen sometimes gets a bad name for these kinds of stories, or some people are really attracted to the, the craziness of it. But it only seems crazy 
from this world of the abyss and the dualities. Um, it only seems crazy and cruel and terrible um, if we are holding to our points of view and our categories and our limited, what, what limits us in the world. You know, if we, we have this direct experience of having people on different continents and different time zones all together right now. But if you told somebody about this 100 years ago, they would have said, you're crazy. That's not possible, right? Um, our, our mind creates these separations and then somehow our heart can open and in this case, given what the mind has also created, these technological possibilities, um, to open to the possibility and hope we can hold us all together here. Because our heart, our mind is not telling us it's not possible. Our heart is open to that. Um, you know, some people would not have made this rakusu. Some sanghas would not have done this. I happen to have a sangha that has, that doesn't, is not bound by limitations entirely, let's say. Some limitations, yes, and, but, but the standard traditional limitations of what we think of as Zen, my sangha is not limited by that. So they did this. Um, some people would say it's crazy. Some people, you know, if you went, if I walked into a traditional Zen monastery in Japan, they would think, what? That's not orthodox. Um, in fact, all of me and all of my teacher's successors, my Dharma brothers and sisters, now there are five of us, soon there will be seven, um, are not considered officially orthodox Dharma teachers by the people who hang on to those orthodox rules and ideas and instructions, right? Um, so if we hold to just, you know, Nancy saying, the monks are holding on to their arguments and their positions, whatever they are. And when Nansen says he will kill the cat, if they can't say a word of Zen, they, they don't know what to say. They're, they're, they're searching their minds probably for some word of Zen. And we can all recognize this. You come into interview with the teacher and the teacher says, you know, okay, so what's your koan? And you're supposed to present it and ah, you're looking for something to say. You can see we have this experience in our daily life with our conversations with others. Um, and often after the fact, we say, oh, I should have said that. You know, you're after the fact, when you're relaxed and you're not thinking anymore. Ah, yes, that's what I should have said. You can have that with colleagues. You can have that with your children, with your spouses, with your friends. In an argument with someone. Um, When you're not thinking about it anymore. 
When the mind is not creating the abyss, the heart then opens. So, um, what does this tell us? You know, what is this? Uh, what's happening in this case? Um, you know, Nansen is asking is asking the monks to save the cat. Um, how will you stop him from killing it? Uh, and then what does it mean to kill the cat? Um, the, in, in, in the commentaries on this koan, some, there aren't very many good commentaries, well, maybe I shouldn't make that kind of judgment, but often the commentaries that you read about this koan are incomplete, let's say. And um, from my experience of the koan, in the commentaries that I generally refer to, there it's interesting because the teacher, Shibayama, refers to Christianity. And he's, he says, although he's not a Christian, and he doesn't know what the orthodox interpretation of Christ's resurrection is, he offers his, what he feels about this notion of Christ resurrecting from the dead, which is indeed, you know, a big uh, problem in Christian doctrine, if you think about it, because we all have never ever seen anyone rise from the dead, right? I mean, if we're just thinking of notions of dead, death, and life, no one has ever seen anybody rise from the dead. And yet, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of people throughout the ages totally adhere to this Christian doctrine and um, believe it in their hearts. So, what something, there must be something there, right? So, Shibayama offers his what he feels about it and he and this of course comes to our zen practice which he he his sense is that the meaning is that jesus dies his human flesh he dies um but he is revived as let's say um Christ in each of us. Um, God in each of us. Um, the kingdom of God in each of us, you know, something like that. In you. And this is what he's, the message is supposed to be. And this is what how Shibayama interprets it. And then me too, I'm not, a, I was raised as a child as a Protestant Christian, but I never really had any affinity for it so i'm not going to venture into what the christian interpretations are of it but this is an interesting way to look at it um in terms of we are at we we're always saying in zen um in traditional zen die the great death die to yourself um which which means um 
drop your attachments to who who you this these beliefs about who you think you are. Um, look into the nature of being and the nature of self and see and awaken to the true to who you truly are we often say these kinds of things and this we can see then in this notion of life and death of being of course there is really life and death there is a moment when there's a last breath and this physical body no longer this being as we know it no longer exists in the sense of when we're talking about existing and non-existing right these are this is the the world of dualities and forms but there's when we talk about dying to oneself it means dying to our beliefs about ourselves die, killing that um, not killing in the sense of uh, ending life but putting an end to the separations that we make and what limits us and not holding so tightly to those so that we can open our hands and receive the, the whole, the oneness. Um, we could say, you know, in this koan, um, So if we looked at it as, as, as two parts in the koan, right? And for those of you who are familiar with Joshu, we know that Joshu goes on and every time someone asks him a question about what is the meaning of Zen, what is the point, what is the essential teaching, he always gives a different answer. You know, sometimes it's a... a giant radishes in a far-off province, sometimes it's an oak tree in the garden, uh, sometimes it's a pound of hemp, uh, sometimes it's washer bowls, um, always different answers. Um, other Zen teachers, in these stories, as I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it the other night or in the workshop I did last weekend, there's another one who just, when they ask him, he holds up his finger. One. Every time you ask him, one. Um, every teacher has a different manifestation of the same dharma, let's say, the same teaching. Uh, and as, as some of you heard me say last Thursday, and have said you're happy about it. Um, we've decided on our Thursday nights to invite different teachers to give talks. Uh, my Dharma brothers and sisters to start with, maybe my teacher at some point, but um, and so so you can taste these different uh, expressions, even though you know, I my expression every time is not the same but you're used to hearing what i have to say so it's nice to hear what other people have to say you also get to hear what joe has to say sometimes so that's about joshu now nansen so nansen in the first part of the koan he kills the cat 
He says, give me, a, give me a word of Zen and I will spare the cat. No one says anything, so he does it. He kills the cat. We could say, you know, sometimes we say, if you meet the Buddha in the road, kill it. Um, there was a novel once that had someone in a Zen monastery take that literally and try to kill the teacher in the Zendo. Um, please don't take literally uh, with your cats or with kill, if you meet your teacher in the road, kill her. Um, maybe we could say, you know, it's, he's pointing to oneness. Um, he kills the differences. Um, he's asking us to, to slice through the differences. One of the images usually on a Zen altar is Manjushri, one of the great bodhisattvas, who is riding on a lion with, holding a sword. And his sword is the sword of wisdom. He cuts through delusion. He cuts through duality. This would seem to be a paradox. Cutting through. Um, he's asking us, he's begging us to kill the differences. The monks are having a dispute, so they're really attached to their differences. And he's asking them to cut through those differences. Now, along comes Joshu then, so this is the second part. And well, maybe we could just to go back to the first. Um, so he's asking us to cut through the differences. He's asking us to die while we're alive. Um, to see, as I, that quote from Confucius that I often sight. We have two lives. The second one begins when we see that we only have one. So that's cutting through the differences. So die while we're alive. So cut through the differences while you're still alive before it's too late. Um, this is what Nansen is trying to tell us. And then Joshu comes along, Nansen tells him the story, and uh, Joshu takes off his sandal, puts it on his head, and walks away. Uh, Nansen says, oh, if you had been here, I could have saved the cat. So what does Joshu do? Um, Joshu is, as I said, Joshu always says something different when you ask him, what is the meaning? What is the essence? What is the teaching? Um, Joshu, having cut through the differences, is free to function in the world of differences without attachments to them. He can put a sandal on his head. Um, he's fully aware 
of a sandal and a head. And therefore, he's not, he doesn't have to be fixed to them. Um, it's as if we say, you cut through the differences, you die while you are alive, and then whatever you do is appropriate because you're not fixed to, I should do this or I shouldn't do that. Um, you know, the guy in the picture in Hamburg who didn't do the Hitler salute, he clearly saw the differences, but he saw the oneness. And he could, his not raising his hand was almost as absurd as Joshua putting a sandal on his head. If you look within the context, right? I, I don't know if anyone else thought that was weird at the time, probably, but probably happened so quickly that no one was really focused on it. But um, however, you know, when we hear this, whatever you do is appropriate. The danger in that is it's not appropriate unless you have seen the oneness. Otherwise, it's just some silly thing you're doing. And so if you hear this koan and you think, oh, that's so silly and those Zen people are so funny and they do weird stuff, that's not it. It's not weird. Um, crazy wisdom, you know, we talk in the Tibetan tradition, we talk about crazy wisdom. And crazy wisdom is very specific to a context, a place, and a time. And the point is always, always the well-being of the student. The teacher is never just randomly acting in an obscure way for no reason. It's always related to a situation and a teacher and student and uh, uh, the teachers coming from the oneness and expressing the teaching in that way. Um, however, this you know crazy wisdom is used as an excuse for all kinds of abuses. Uh, because if we see only the, the the anything you do is okay without seeing the the differences and the context and the oneness involved, then great harm can happen. Um, or just silly stuff. Or thinking that we should repeat the same thing again and again. That's why Joshua, it's never the same thing. His teaching did not become putting a sandal on his head and walking out of the room. Um, his teaching did not become the oak tree in the garden. Uh, if when working on koans with people, you know, if they have the koan, the oak tree in the garden, and they say, my response is the oak tree in the garden, I ring the bell and I say, no, it's not. Um, so what is, what is the answer? You know, what is the response? The only way we can know is to die while we're alive. And then whatever you do, all is good. 
um, let go of our attachments. Dying means, you know, uh, you know, like I tell the story of when I received my transmission and we went off for the last ceremony and all of the people from the Zendo were standing watching us go away. My teacher, my teacher's teacher, the Jishas, and they were going to sit while we went off to do the ceremonies. And my teacher's teacher, Gempo, turned to, turned to us and he said, wow, they look like we're going to a funeral. And we all laughed and we walked a few more steps. And then he took my arm and he looked at me and he said, well, you know, we kind of are. Amy's not coming back. So that's what this means, you know. This means, you know, you let go of, of course, Amy's still here, right? She's sitting here talking to you. At the same time, this is not Amy sitting here talking to you. So, how do we be truly who we are and let, and yet not be who we think we are? You can only be who you truly are if you're not who you think you are. And that's the trick, right? That's the, that's the whole thing. It's like if I'm attached to um, that word on Frank's calligraphy being ya, yeah, I can absolutely not admit that it also means ja. Um, So you know, we're asked to not be fixed by these names we give, you know, by a sandal or a foot or a head, um, a mountain or a river. Um, being in person, being seeing each other on screen. Um, it's just these are just temporary labels, you know. This is just. We're all sitting here together. You know, we're each in our many zendos, all together in our one zendo. Um, so Nansen is pointing to the one, and Joshu is pointing to the many. And yet, at the same time, Nansen is pointing to the many, and Joshu is pushing, pointing to the one in this poem. So how do we transcend the one and the many? That's the whole point. Right? Um, in that same book about race in America that I've been reading, there's a quote from Albert Einstein, who he gave in, in the context of, uh, of talking about civil rights and, and um, racism. And it was in the 1930s. He said, if the majority knew of the root of this evil, then the road to its cure would not be long. So the root of this evil, I'm not, I wouldn't use the word evil, but we know what he's talking about. Um, if, if we knew the root of this, of our delusion, you know, of our separation, if we knew the root of that, of what 
not none of our separation, but of what the harm and the suffering that is caused when we are fixed in. If we knew the root of that, then the road would not be long to curing it. It's long until we see it. You know, we have two lives. It's long leading those two lives. But as soon as we see that we only have one, it's not long or short. We were always there. You're sitting in your house in front of your computer screen, and yet you're sitting here, right here with all of us. We're all here together at the same time. Both of those realities. Um, so we, you know, I talked longer than I would like to talk uh, because I want to leave some time for you to ask questions or say something. Um, you know, I think because there's so many of us, you may have to use, there won't be time for everybody, but it, the, I think we may have to use the uh, participants hand blue raising your hand uh, function because I won't be able to see if your hand, if you're not on my screen, I won't see your hand raised. Um, so if you click on the participants icon and then you get a list of participants at the bottom, there's something that says raise hand or in English it says raise hand. So if you'd like to say something, um, please do that. Isabel Pereira. Hello, Roshi, Amy. I don't have any question, but for a long, long time that I don't attend your teachings and it's just to thank you and to say hello to this amazing and wonderful Sangha and how good it is uh, to be one and many at the same time. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much, Isabel. It's great to see you too. Thank you. And it was great to see your son as well. <laughs> Thank you. Jose Eduardo, I saw you raise your hand. Yeah, um, I don't have this function. Um, just not really a question, but it was something that came to my mind while you were speaking about this picture. I never saw the picture, but um, um, from the description you make, what, what coming to my mind was this sense of, let's say, 
false unity in the sense that the collective was doing the Hitler solution, uh, how you say that, uh, the Hitler sign, okay? And that gave a, a sense of, I would say, forced or fa false unity. The only person, according to what you just said, was not united in that, uh, let's say, in that collective um, attitude was this single man. So sometimes perhaps the, the deep sense of unity um, implies at least this apparent separation. So that's, that's what came into my mind. That many times people feel together, not out of their arts, perhaps, but out of their ideological positions or their fears. And um, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's perhaps the experience anyone has when we start practicing is that sometimes we yeah we feel some kind of uh, alone and that's good to have a sang of course to not to have this feeling not joining um this apparent unity of ideas but in the end um being more attuned with reality and the other people than, than those that just follow this obligation of feeling united. So this, this is what I wanted to say. I don't know if it was clear, but my point is that um, many times people act out of this feeling of collective unity, which is make up by the mind and not by the heart so it was just what i wanted to say yeah thank you that's true i think we can probably all relate to that sometimes when we've been caught up in something and we just go along with the others even though in our heart that's not what we truly feel and that, that's true and there's great great danger in that great damage is done to ourselves you know, we kind of are not acknowledging our hearts. And yet, and it also can be kind of a blind, as we see in great, you know, historic movements. And as you point out, there's a lot of fear that, that comes. Usually those when dangers arise, it's because it's it's arising from fear. We see in America is a perfect example today because it's it's the, many of the problems arise from a certain group of people who fear losing their identities and their positions and their power and therefore react in a hostile way, an aggressive way.
Joanna is raising her hand. Oh yeah, I see that now. Yeah, I have to keep scrolling. So, Joanna. Sorry, I was not being able to find the raise hand function. I think on my screen is in reactions. So ah. if anyone else has this issue, because it used to be in participants, but yeah. Um, well, it was a wonderful talk, and I don't know if I have much to add to that. <laughs> um, but um, it's curious how uh, Einstein was also erased it in his own way. I, d I don't know much about it, but I know he he was a, a civil rights advocate in a way. I know he gave a lecture uh, to black students when no one else would. But he also uh, said so some nasty things about the Chinese, and um, <laughs> it's so complex how you could feel. Um, how you could be awakened to some realities, but also create those separations and, you know, um, towards other people. Just, oh, those, those don't count, those are different. So <laughs> how, could, how could that happen? Like, it's very curious. Um, and I think Einstein is a perfect example of that. Um, I don't know much about him, so, <laughs> but anyway, just wanted to point that out. Thank you. And thank you all for this practice and for this wonderful talk as well. Thank you, Joanna. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know much about Einstein in, in that sense either. Uh, at the same time, I would say, I don't think anyone has ever said Einstein was enlightened in the sense that we talk about in Zen. Um, having, you know, I don't know to what extent he, he you know, killed the cat, um, just to use, stay with that metaphor. Um, and at the same time, everything is always partial, right? So we would like it to be, we, we awaken to some reality and then we would like to have that apply every moment and it doesn't, you know, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing practice of awakening this moment, this moment, this moment. So. Anna. Hello, everybody. Um, I was uh, listen to your listen to you to your Dharma talk, and thank you for your Dharma talk, and. Um, Suddenly, I was. It came to my mind um, pieces of uh, Portuguese uh, poem uh, from uh, Mario de Sacarneiro, and the poem poem is called "Quas," which means uh, almost, nearly, uh, something like that. And um, well, I don't have uh, so much more to say than just um, maybe you you sometime can uh, I don't know if there is a translation, but maybe sometime you can uh, read it and know it, and uh, I. I I'm sure that uh, some of us know. I'm sure that João knows this poem. And uh, 
I think it, uh, well, I'm not sure because uh, when you, you may, you, you talk uh, um, along your talk, I, I was feeling more and more and more and more and more kind of stuck somewhere that I don't know where it is, but stuck. Um, and it's the same feeling when you, we, we read this. It's beautiful, like your words were beautiful. It's beautiful, but we get surrounded for, I don't know what. Thank you. I will look for that. Um, or have maybe someone will send it to me. I don't know. Uh, often when this kind of thing comes up, I I receive people send me the things in the mail in email. So, um, and yeah, I, I can relate to the sense of you know becoming stuck. Although I haven't read the poem, but I can understand what you mean about uh, as the talking goes on, and then we start losing um, it's almost too many words or something Maybe. uh we have time for one more question and maria has her hand up so her blue hand raised so maria hi hi everyone <laughs> thank you um i'll try to be quick it was very funny that you gave this koan about this cat because while I was trying, uh, while I was sitting and I was trying to focus, my cat, it happens all the time, my cats won't uh, let me focus because they go around and want to be on my lap and be, they do stuff and they call my attention. So I uh, suddenly thought if I was aware of the unity, it came to my mind, I didn't really think about it. Uh, would I have to react to the cats? Because what I usually do is that I have to shush them and I have to stop everything around me so that I do my practice. And it is not real practice uh, because I'm not, um, it's like I have to close myself in a bubble. I have to, I don't know, I didn't kill the cat. <laughs> so um, it was funny that you talked about this uh, example. I'm still thinking about it because it will happen in the in the afternoon again. So, how do I integrate everything so that everything is a practice? Thank you. That's exactly what our practice is. So, good practice. Cats are good for that. Children too. Um, actually, everything is good for that. Every everything that arises. Is, good practice so. okay um it's time to stop i'm really trying to keep to the schedule uh we will be back in three and a half hours uh for our final block of sitting and um i think maybe then um or, or Lisa, do you want to say something now about the? No, okay. 
It was about um, donations for the day, a suggested donation for participating, and we can talk about that later. Okay, or maybe you'll receive an email about it. I don't know. Um, so thank you, and bon appétit if you're having lunch soon, or dinner, or going to bed, or whatever. Um, and I will see you later. Thank you.